Charlie Betts, uh, and it is November the uh, Wednesday, November 18th. the 18th. Thank 18th. you. Thank 19, you, guys. 2015. Right. <laughs> and we're here at the Austin History Center uh, to do some uh, reminiscing uh, and oral history of uh, former Mayor Gus Garcia. Gus, we were just having a, a little bit earlier conversation, and we were remembering Beatrice De La Garza, who was the chair of the Austin Independent School District shortly after, yeah. I think. She uh, came after I, I left okay. the school board, yeah. <clears throat> and you were saying that you all, your your family and her family yeah. came from the same town. Right. Uh, I mean, in the case of my, my family, we uh, my ancestors were the founders of the little community that became Guerrero, mm -hmm. Guerrero. Uh, there were two groups that came to settle communities along the border. Laredo was settled by Tony, by Mr. Tomas Sanchez, mm -hmm. the ancestor to Tony Sanchez, who later ran for governor. Is that right? Yeah, okay. he settled Laredo. And uh, Manuel Martinez, who was a, an officer in the Spanish army, uh, and my ancestor came to settle what was called Revilla, later Guerrero, and named after one of the revolutionary heroes. Uh, anyway, they were in, they settled that community along the banks of the Rio Salado, uh, or like they say here, Salado. The Rio Salado tributary to the Rio Grande. And uh, they settled along that, uh, along that, the banks of that river. And they stayed there for about six generations. You said six. Wow. My, my dad was the last one. And uh, the, that family left, my father's family left in 1913 when Villa, Pancho Villa, sure. uh, brought the revolution to the north. Uh, because the revolution, the, the Mexican revolution of the, of the early 1900s, basically was in the south. Uh, Zapata, Madero, all those guys were in the south. But Villa, who uh, wasn't instantly, Villa was half German. And his name was not Villa, it was something else. But anyway, he became a you know violent revolutionary, brought the revolution to the north. As a matter of fact, he's the only he's the only military guy or you know, semi-military guy who ever attacked the United States. He came across the border and attacked, I think in New Mexico, one of those. But anyway, when he brought the revolution to the north, my grandfathers told my dad, we've got to go. My dad didn't want to come. He wanted to join the revolution. As a matter of fact, he was appointed some, to some post to lead an outfit out of Guerrero mm -hmm. to join the revolution. But my dad and my granddad said no. Incidentally, if, if it had been the year, in the year 2015 instead of 1913, uh, he probably would have been in, in illegal labor because they just came across. Uh, and I would be the child of an illegal agent, and I don't know, under the new rules, I may not be a citizen. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, Beatriz's family came later uh, to Guerrero, and, but, but they stayed in Guerrero through the revolution, past the revolution, and uh, they st I think she came to the United States probably uh, in 19... 45, 48, 40, somewhere in there. Came to uh, Laredo and gra graduated from high school in Laredo and then came to the university. Very smart lady. 
got a PhD and a law degree. That but this was your mother? This is Beatrice. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. My yes. mother's, you know, strangely enough, and I, I said that in the, little, in the little memo that I sent you, mm -hmm. my mother's family was, they, when they came north, they settled on the north bank of the river. Uh, they crossed the Rio Grande and settled in, in the United County, States. In the United States. Right. Okay. But back in those days, when women were going to deliver their babies, they went to Mexico. Because Guerrero was a very sophisticated town. They had doctors, they had midwives, they had pharmacies, they had everything. It was a very sophisticated little community. And so the people from Zapata went to Guerrero. Mm -hmm. the, the women went to Guerrero to deliver. So my, my grandmother went to Guerrero. My mother was born in Guerrero. Uh -huh. And they came right back. But I never, we never figured out if she was an American or a Mexican because they didn't, they didn't register. I mean, she was born over there, but they brought her back. And uh, my mother learned some English. She went to school here, actually. My dad did not know any English and never wanted to learn it because he was going to go back to Mexico. <laughs> and my, my, since, since both of my parents were Mexicans, uh, my sister, my brother, and I were actually uh, had dual citizenship all the way till we were 18. Mm -hmm. And when we went to Mexico, we were Mexicans. When they decided we were U.S. citizens. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it wasn't like it is today with all the, all the issues dealing with, you know, are you a citizen, you know, you know, because you were born in the United States, does that make you... You know, now they're arguing the 14th Amendment and all that. People didn't know anything about the 14th Amendment in Zapata. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, we settled in Zapata. I was born there. And then they settled, you know, we, we, uh, I stayed there through elementary school. But it was back in those days, uh, and this is, uh, you know, 40, in the early 40s. I was born in 34, so it's mm -hmm. school. I entered uh, kindergarten in Spanish. There was a family uh, there in Zapata. They were, we were all Hispanic, Mexicans. Uh, they went to Mexico and got a teacher that was trained in a, in a teacher's college. Mm -hmm. in Mexico. They brought her to Zapata and she had the kindergarten in Zapata. And all of us that came from families that were not migrant workers, my, my family was not a migrant worker family, we went to kindergarten there. I learned how to add, subtract, multiply and divide in kindergarten. Really? Because she used, to, she used this method of teaching which was repetition. Two times two is four, two times three is six. The whole class in, in, in would chant the multiplication tables. And the teacher is multi and the division here in, in kindergarten. And in that that particular skill that I had helped me all the way. Right. When I took that my helped G you be a good CPA. <laughs> yeah, when I took my GRE to undergraduate school, my grammar was not good because I didn't learn English very well. But math, you know, I was in the top 8% because, because we learned number skills. Yeah. So we, we, we were there through elementary school. But like I say, it was unaccredited. Zapata was unaccredited. Texas had 6,000 plus school districts. Like here in Austin, right. you know, Summit, uh, Men Menchaca, or mm -hmm. like you all say here, Manchac, <laughs> right. uh, Oak Hill, Th those were all school districts. Mm -hmm. They call them common school districts. But along came a senator by the name of Aiken mm -hmm. and a state representative by the name of Gilmer. 
and passed the Gilmore-Aiken law that took 6,000 plus school districts and made them into 1,100. And uh, Austin, you know, incorporated, took Menchaca, Plumhead, you know, uh, Oak Hill, I don't know how many other school districts, brought them into Austin. Zapata was unaccredited, and uh, during that, following the Gilmore-Aiken law, they became accredited, but I was already in Laredo. Mm-hmm. But when I came to Laredo, I didn't know English. Because Zapata, we didn't know English. We, we were all Mexican. Why would we want to learn English, you know? Sure. And, I, you know, I had a very unsuccessful junior high and high school. Uh, and uh, I graduated from high school because those of us that were children of families that were not migrant workers, we, we, we were moving along, you know. Mm-hmm. But only we, so Laredo had five junior highs and five high schools. One Catholic for girls, one Catholic for boys, one Catholic co-ed, one Methodist, and the public schools. Well, guess where I was? I was in the public schools. <laughs> and that's, that's where all the gang members were. What, what, count, what did you call it? What school? What type of school? Well, there were junior, highs, junior highs and high schools. Catholic for girls. Right. My wife went there. Catholic for boys. Mm-hmm. I tried to get in there, but couldn't get in there. My dad took me in, but they didn't, you know, I don't know, they said no. Catholic co-ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Methodist, the Methodist set up a school along the river. This was for children of Mexicans who wanted to send their children to learn English. Mm-hmm. My sister and my brother went there. Okay. Uh, my sister, I think my sister spent about two, three years, she, but she learned English. And uh, my brother went there for a while. He, you know, he didn't do too well, but anyway, he went, then he went to the sixth grade in Laredo. Uh, you ever, you ever go to, go to Laredo and go to a hotel called La Posada? That's up yes. in the river. Uh-huh. That was a high school. Really? Yeah. That's called, that was called, well, Laredo High. Mm-hmm. When they built Martin High, they made that into a, a junior high. Uh, actually a sixth grade center, I think it was. And they called it Old High. My, my brother went there. I didn't go there. What, which school did you attend? I attended Christian, L.J. Christian Junior High School and Martin High School. Okay. Graduated, <laughs> you know, they were, the graduating class of, out of Martin High well, that, I, that, I was in, that I was included in had about 300 kids. And about 15 of us were at the bottom of the class. We came from, from families that didn't speak English. Sure. And I graduated with, in that group. I was in the lowest 5% of my class. My, um, my, my sister said, you didn't learn anything. I said, that's right. You know, I, and since, since in Zapata we did elementary school in four years, when I started school, uh, Texas had 11 grades. When they went to 12, those of us that were in school were promoted in the middle of the year. I was in second grade, so in the middle of the year they promoted me to third grade. I didn't know English, you know. And then I went to the fourth grade, and I, by that time I was so far ahead of the migrant kids that they promoted me to the fifth grade. <laughs> so I was 10 years old and I was in seventh grade in Laredo, yeah. and I didn't know English. And nobody seemed to care. There was no bilingual education. What bilingual education, you know? <laughs> they were just lucky to have a school. But it was, uh, I learned a lot of things that have helped me in my life because, you know, the, those schools, the public schools, particularly in junior high and early, 10th grade, 9th and 10th grade, had all these older kids 
but Laredo had no social promotions. Mm-hmm. So those of us that were promoted, went to, I, when I was in the eighth grade, I had kids that were 17, 18 years old, <laughs> gang members. Jay. And I learned a lot from that. <laughs> My wife sometimes when I talk a little different. The street smart. Where did you learn to speak like that? Where I went to school? <laughs> you went to Catholic school, I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was a, um, they sent me to college because I, I was the first in my family to go to college. Laredo had opened up a little junior college, and so my, my sister said, you need to go there. You, you didn't learn anything in high school, so try to go. I went there, and I flunked out. Because, again, I was in probably no English. English. Yeah. yeah. And so they said, well, you're never going to amount to anything. So my, my, so my, my dad was one of the guys that ran, you know, this building up, that, that didn't exist with my dad. <laughs> His idea of motivation was to run your dad. <laughs> So I went to work. I worked for three years there in Laredo, and then I went in the Army. Mm-hmm. In the Army, I met a guy that changed my life. Uh, this guy is now a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the, in the outfit with us. Portuguese-American. And I uh, got to, got, you know, since, since, since we, he spoke Portuguese, I spoke Spanish, he talked, we talked to each other, we understood each other. He asked me the question, how come you didn't go to college? And I did. I flunked out. And he checked me out. He said, I don't think you know how to study. I said, no, nobody ever told me that. He did. Uh, he had graduated from Holy Cross University in Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And a smart guy. Had a master's from there. And uh, was, uh, was waiting to go into the seminary. And so... Uh, the last six or eight months, no, three or four months, he actually was in the seminary finishing up his, his tour of duty with, with the Army. And, uh, but he really helped me. So when I came back from the Army, I was ready to go to school. I, came, I went to the junior college, then I came to UT. Did you learn, did you learn English probably yeah, in the I Army? And uh, how to study. Had to, yeah. yeah, how to study, you know. You didn't know how to study. What was that gentleman's name? I, I, we, I want to be sure we... Father Eugene Alves. A-L-V-E-S. Alves. A-L-V-E-S. Okay. Yeah. I um, decided, you know, nowadays, with Google, you can find anybody. <laughs> right. So I Googled him. Sure enough, he is the pastor at Our Lady of the Sea Catholic Church in Worcester, Massachusetts. Wow. And I, I, I wrote him. I emailed him. Uh, to thank him, you know, for, and he said, he wrote me back, he said, no, I didn't do anything for you, you know. <laughs> but he was a great guy, and uh, he's still, he's, a, he's the pastor. I guess Eugene must be about my age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, very smart, very kind, you know, charitable kind of guy, you know, and uh, the right personality to be a priest. Well, you, you need to go see him and surprise him. You need to have a little reunion with him. <laughs> May want to do that. It'd be wonderful. <laughs> anyway, we uh, came to the university and uh, graduated in 1959. Right. I told people that it, it took me, not, I packed four years of college into nine years. Because I graduated from high school in <laughs> 50, graduated from the university in 59. And, uh, and your f- study was in the I, business school. Yeah, in like business that. school. I, I had a BBA mm-hmm. uh, from cause of business and uh, uh, then gra- worked for a while for the state and decided to go back to graduate school 
which I did. I went back to, uh, by the time I was married, Maureen and I uh, came to Austin so I could go to graduate school. And uh, I didn't finish because we had our first son and I had passed the CPA exam. And uh, so I went to work with a CPA firm that uh, today is called Maxwell Lock and Ritter. Yeah, you know them, you know sure. those guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, Log and I uh, went to work for John Lanier. It was called Lanier Master Lock and Rear. Do right. you remember John? Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. And uh, 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 Tom Lock and I went to work for that firm at the same time. We became great friends. I, you know, every once in a while I see him. He's living in Fort Worth now. Uh, great guy. They were, all, they were all wonderful people. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I never worked. I, would, I wish I would have stayed with the firm. I would have liked to have worked with uh, Earl Maxwell. Yes, because he's a he now he's over there uh, working with the Saint David's Foundation, doing great work. I've always had a nickname for Earl. I call him Saint Earl. Saint Earl. Saint, right? <laughs> a little bit of a saint. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. All right. When did you uh, get interested in the political scene? You obviously uh, have a history in education. Yeah, well, yeah. How, yeah. how did you wind up mm-hmm. running for the school board? It was one of those things. I never intended uh, to uh, to get into politics because my father always talked real bad about politics mm-hmm. in the United States. He, and politics anywhere. He, he, he claimed that all politicians were corrupt. And, uh, and, I, and I told him, I said, well... Yeah, there's quite a few corrupt politicians, but you don't have to be corrupt. You can actually solve. No, no, he never, <laughs> he never agreed you know, that they could do it. But uh, when I was working with Fraser and Torbett, that, that the firm that, that I was telling you, John Lanier and Tommy Locke, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 were officing in the Brown Building, mm-hmm. and across the street, Terry Corner was City Hall. And one day uh, we went to coffee, and on the way back. A, a bunch of African Americans were on the street uh, uh, demonstrating, and John Baez was sitting. Remember those two things that stuck out? Yes. Me? She was singing. She was sitting there with a the guitar, singing "We Shall Overcome." Uh-huh. And so, uh, my wife and I had been denied housing. So when I went to ask what they were doing there, well, they were they were lobbying for open housing. That's interesting, you know. Never, never had any experience uh, doing anything like that. So uh, that was followed by the appointment by the City Council of the Human Relations Commission, mm-hmm. the first ever Human Relations mm-hmm. Commission. And uh, they named... Who, who was mayor at that time? Do you Harry recall? Aiken. Okay. Mayor Harry Aiken. Sure. And the council was Mayor Aiken, uh, Councilmember Long, Evan Long, Councilmember Dick Nichols, Councilmember Travis, Travis LaRue, LaRue, right. and Councilmember Ralph James. Those, yes. there, there were five in the council. And so um, they appointed 21 members to the Human Relations Commission, 16 white, four African Americans, and one Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you remember Danny, Danny Ruiz. He, they, we named the library for him for their southeast. Okay. Yeah. And so the Hispanic community went up in arms. And I was not active with them, okay? I was, I was a CPA. I was on my way to the government. Right. 
in a firm, you know. Uh, and so uh, they decided, the Hispanic community decided to ask the city council for a special meeting to talk about that. Uh, and then somebody called me, and I don't remember who it was, called me to tell me about the meeting, and they wanted me to go. And I said, well, okay, I'll go. So I went, and by the time, you know, the, the council chambers were right there in, the, in that building across from, from the cut corner from, from the Brown Building. When I got there, the room was full. Full of people, and all, every, they already had all signed up to speak. And I got there, and there were no more places to sit down. So I stood by the door and just watched. And, uh, but, you know, this, this was the good, the good old days at, at the Austin at the City Council. You didn't have to have an agenda. They just, they just had a meeting. And there was nothing posted in there that they were going to appoint <laughs> council, they were going to appoint members of the, to the committee. But uh, they kept the people coming up and, uh, and signing, you know, speaking and everything. And somewhere along the way, uh, Councilmember Nichols raised his hand. He said, Mayor, I have a motion. And I didn't know there was no agenda. He said, I move that we expand the commission from 21 members to 25, and that all four of the members be Mexican-Americans. And that we're going to appoint them tonight. And it passed, three to two. Uh, because uh, Mayor uh, Councilman Long and Dick Nichols and Mayor Aiken were the three. Yeah, yeah. And uh, against it were Larue and James, mm -hmm. but it passed, and uh, and they started going through the room to find four. They went to the. They had about sixty or seventy people there. They went to the whole room and found three. So and you um, were one. No. I was standing by the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was standing by the door, and, uh, you know, Nichols came up to me, and he said, what about you? I said, I, I'm just, I just came to see what was going on. He said, no. <laughs> what about Mind you? Mind your own business. <laughs> I said, I just came to find out what you all are doing. He said, no, no, no. Can you serve? I said, well, I don't know what it is that you all are talking about, you know. I have not been involved in this kind of stuff. And so he said, well, uh, can you serve? Okay, so I got appointed to the Human Relations Commission mm -hmm. in 19, uh, what year was that, 67? 67, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, served on that commission for two and a half years. We passed the Open Housing Ordinance and the council approved it on, on three readings by a vote of three to two. Since they didn't have a supermajority, they had to read it three, three days in mm -hmm. a row. Right. Then some of the leadership in the real estate community got a petition and called an election and reversed right. that decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think, I think I'm interested in this kind of stuff. I said, I've never done it. And so... I had served on some other stuff here and there in the community with, with the Mexican-American community mostly. And so uh, uh, there, I, I didn't get reappointed. In 69, they had an election and all three of the council members who voted for that ordinance, Aiken, 
uh, Nick and Malone. And then Malone were defeated. And Travis became the mayor, Travis Arrug. Mm -hmm. And uh, six, it was 69. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got a letter from, from Mayor Larue that, thank you very much for serving, but we're not reappointing you, period. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, by that time I was now getting into the action, so to speak. And uh, so. Gus, let, let me go back. Uh, you mentioned, and I think it's significant, you mentioned that you were denied housing uh, a few years prior to that. Can, can you elaborate? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, how, <laughs> yeah. what you were, how, I would suppose you were trying to buy yeah. a home. And, when I brought uh, my innocent, beautiful little wife from Laredo, I went to live. I was at the university. Uh, she wanted to move closer to the university. And there was an apartment on Red River and 19th or one of those streets. <coughs> and it was in the paper. So she called to, to find out if she could rent it. And they said, sure. So we went to see it. When we got there, they said, it's already rented. Okay. Mm. So the next day, she looked at the paper again, and there it was again. And she called and said, oh, yeah. But then they saw it, and oh, it's already rented. So we got the message. They were not going to rent it to us. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, uh, I had never, I had never felt, seen the effects of uh, discrimination in that manner. But it kind of offended me that, that people would be making decisions based on that. And that was another reason that I, it, it, it got me interested in seeing, well, what, what do we have to do to make sure that the Hispanic community is, is a significant part and meaningful part of the Austin community? Uh, so it was, uh, it was a series of things like that that got me interested. And, uh, uh, then what is now that housing project on the river just east of I-35 that was a hatchery remember the fish hatchery that was there? Oh sure, yeah, no I don't remember the fish hatchery, are you talking about the Lady Bird Johnson? Lady Bird Johnson, yeah, right the Hispanic community wanted that area when, they, when the government decided to close the hatchery to make that into a school that was from 1 to 12, so that since it was a central East Austin, kids could go there. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't happen. It, it became uh, the bishop uh, uh, got, in, got together with, with, the, with the federal government and, and helped build what is now Lady Bird Johnson. That was uh, that senior housing. Yeah, Bishop. I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, we find out what we didn't, we're not gonna, we're not gonna have that school there. And a series of things like that, you know, where I was involved and I saw that our community didn't seem to have what I would call a hold, a hold on, the, on the city, on the decision making. We were not part of the decision making. Sure. And uh, at that time, uh, I, I, I began to see certain people come up and, and become uh, quite active. Richard Moya was the first one. 
And I had known Moira for a long, long time because we were both in Junior Lulac back in the 40s. And uh, we went to a national convention, national convention of Junior Lulac in Corpus Christi. And uh, people from Laredo, Austin, we all went to Corpus. And the people from Laredo said that uh, they wanted me to run for vice president, national vice president. I was 15 years old, okay? National 15. National vice president, 15. I was in high school. I guess. <coughs> of like, well, yeah, they put my name in. I ran against this little girl from Corpus Christi and lost. Many years later, I found out that her campaign chairman was Richard Moy. <laughs> That's a small world. You were, you were beginning to tell a story about one of your cohorts on the uh, school board, M.K. Hag. Yeah, M.K. was a great friend, uh, former principal, former teacher, uh, very well-educated, very smart, uh, great businessman. But when he got on, the, on a topic that he was passionate about, he could say anything and anything, everything and anything. <laughs> and we were... We were Un uncensored. Uncensored. <laughs> we were appointing a committee one day and uh, Carol, uh, McClellan at that time, he mm -hmm. talked about having a balance. We need to have a Hispanic, we need to have an African-American, we need to have a woman. And MK blew his stop. He said, there you go again. Now we have to have a Mexican and an African-American. We need to put somebody in there who knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody went... <laughs> <laughs> we all just laid our hands down and you know, said, we don't want to say anything else. <laughs> and that comment, that comment came back to haunt him even after he died. Is that right? Yeah, because they, his daughters wanted him to have something named for him at the community college. But he served on the, on the board of the community college. Mm -hmm. So they assigned me the responsibility to go talk to the board, which I did. I had served on that board. The board of the college was the same as the board of the school board. It was, yeah. We served, we had dual, dual responsibility. When I told the board, they were, oh no. They brought up that one, that one statement. And I said, that, that was not representative of MK. MK was a very gifted guy who really cared about the education of children. But he, has his, he had his side, you know, the side that you never knew where he was gonna land. You know, he landed on this one. You know. But it is a very, it was, that was very significant because it followed him around yeah. all the way through his political career, literally until he died. Mm -hmm. And after he died, he was dead when he went to the community college. Right. And those board members, and they finally named a street in the Highland Mall. Um, they, you know, they bought the whole yeah. project for yeah. the college and they were putting in streets and, uh, I served on the committee that was coming up with names, and I recommended MK. Ooh, you could hear the grunt, grunting, and you know. But later on, I looked, at, and there was a street, MK Hague. I don't know whether it's MK Hague or just Hague, but it's a, it's a street name for MK. He deserved it, I mean. Sure. Really a cool guy. Well, I'm going to take you back a little before yeah. that now. Uh, I, you, we obviously know of your interest in education and, uh, and, your, and your goal of uh, getting the Hispanic uh, 
community, uh, educated as well as, as, as everybody else. Um, how did you get that interested enough uh, to run for the school board? It was, it happened during the time that I was on the Human Relations Commission. Because mm -hmm. we had subcommittees for housing and, you know, community development and uh, education. And I looked at all, the at all the committees and, you know, thinking about my own education experience, I told the committee, I said, I need to be in the education committee. Because mm -hmm. if we're going to move the Hispanic community to a better spot economically and socially in Austin, we need to educate our children better. And so I said, we need to work on that. Well, that took me into the school board and going to the, going to the meetings and talking to the board about education, but there were no Hispanics on the board. So the one that was doing most of the heavy lifting was Wilhelmina Duck. She helped with that. But Wilhelmina, quite frankly, said, you know, I have the African-American issue to deal with because African-Americans were also struggling in the school system. They, they were segregated and, you know, right. all those things. So I started talking to people about what to do. And uh, lo and behold, Ernest Perales, who I don't think is mentioned anywhere, mm -hmm. Ernest came to me and he said, we're working with a group of people to come up with a list of issues that need to be addressed for the Hispanic children. And we're calling it demands. And we're up to 17 out of them. So I told him, I said, you know what? Why, why don't you let me have that list? I'll run for the school board and that will be my agenda. Mm -hmm. Which is what we did. And uh, so uh, I kept working on it and got to meet uh, Carol. I didn't know Carol that well. But Carol's, you know, also working. She was a teacher at McCallum and, mm -hmm. you know, she was interested in education. And uh, one day she, she called me at the house or saw me somewhere and she said, there's two seats that are opening up. At that time they had seven, seven school board members, all at large. Uh, there's two seats opening up. He said, one is held by a woman, one is held by a man. They're both uh, retiring from the board. Uh, why don't you run for the seat occupied by the man and I'll run for the one occupied by the woman? Sounded okay to me. So off we went, went and filed. And sure enough, the man who was occupying that seat retired. Uh, and I was leading the, the, the balloting, you know, the popularity contest. But lo and behold, one day I heard that the business community, and I don't know whether it was the realtors or the Chamber of Commerce or who, had called that man who had retired, called him back in and said, no, you're not going to get out because we don't want that Mexican guy in this, on the school board. He's too radical or something like that. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I had the incumbent back in the race. So all of a sudden it was a race. All of a sudden, no, no, no. All of a sudden I was in the, in the, in the, in the dumpster. I mean, I was down there. We ran a little poll. It was 75% for him, 25% for me. And so I was talking to my brother one day and I told him about it. And he said, what? You running against that guy? 
he ran track for the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. I said, Paco, that's not what I, my, my, my brother's name, Paco, we're not running the 100 yard dash, okay? <laughs> we're running for the school board. And so he said, well, but he's, I said, no, I know, he's very popular. And so uh, we went off and I'm way behind, but I told my wife, I cannot get out. I told the people I was gonna run, I had to run. Well, one Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, I got a call from Jet Barton. Right. And he said, I think it's J-E-T, Jet. Mm -hmm. I think it's spelled there, it's spelled J-E-D-D, I think it's Jet. Anyway, he called me and said, we need to meet with you. What? When? Today. That's Sunday today. We had to meet this afternoon. Well, as it had happened, the daughter of that man was a cheerleader at one of the middle schools. Back then it was junior highs. And the principal had found a bottle of whiskey in her locker and uh, kicked her off the cheerleading squad. Well, the man went and talked to the principal and said, you're gonna put my daughter back in. Well, the rule is that school trustees do not give orders to anybody except the superintendent. So when he gave an order to a principal, everybody went crazy. How could the trustee be ordering a principal to do something? So they called me, they told me that. And he said, uh, uh, we decided to support you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said, can you get me the support of the Austin Association of Teachers? Back then, it was not a union. Now it's a union. Back then it was an association affiliated with the Texas State Teachers Association. But very powerful. All the teachers belong to, to them. Mm -hmm. And they, basically, they were the ones that decided the elections. And they said, we already, we already did that. You got it. And it was Jed and another one, and it was misspelled, and, and the, other, the other teacher was Robert Francetti. Robert was a teacher at Crockett. Jed was a teacher at O'Henry. And so, the minute that that happened and the, the word got out, I was running, I was back in the, in the lead position and won that election with, uh, I think, 52% of the vote. Yeah. And got elected to the board. And the, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> we had a ball. I mean, we had, that was the greatest board. It had Will Davis, uh, Carol McLellan, Rylander, uh, Strayhorn, uh, Keaton, you know, all the names. You can erase all those names, incidentally. Just keep. Just keep. And uh, Wilhelmina Delco. Mm -hmm. uh, Strong board. Yeah. Frank Denius. Wow. Yeah. And uh, the only problem was that Frank did not particularly agree with the way I did politics. And one of his partners called me one day and said, he's not going to stay on that board. Not with you in there. And sure enough, he, he resigned a year later. Hmm. And, and, and later on, we had a mutual client. You know who our mutual client was? Roy Velasquez. You remember Roy, Roy Stacks? Roy had a very close relationship with a lot of very powerful people, and Frank was one of them. Sure. So, when Roy died, or when he was very sick, they were doing the, the estate planning, mm -hmm. uh, and I had, Roy had called me to help him with some stuff. Frank called me and said, we're going to do this together. Okay. 
That's a wonderful yeah. story. Yeah, you know, and we uh, we had that that kind of relationship, and we stayed that way through the through the whole process. I haven't seen Frank in quite some time, and uh, MK MK was on that board, and like I said, very good educator. Uh, had taught school in in elementary school, had been elementary principal at two schools, and then. Uh, went into real estate business and he was the one who built the medical park tower building. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very astute businessman. Well, tell, tell me a little more about uh, uh, some memorable moments or accomplishments or, or goals and objectives that you had yeah. as you served on the school board. Yeah. Because the, I know that was really, really important to you. The Hispanic community had gotten together I guess before, while, while I was while I was running or while I was working with the school board, before I got on the school board, and developed a list of things that they wanted done. They call it the 17 demands. They wanted more Hispanic teachers, they wanted more Hispanic principal, they wanted bilingual education, a bunch of things. And so they just said, here, you take it. So when I got to the school board, I told the school board members, I said, this is this is my agenda. <laughs> they, so uh, we st this started. You know, we the the board, Jack Davidson was a superintendent at that time, right? And uh, at first he thought that that the <coughs> agenda was heavily loaded with a lot of things that uh, were going to be difficult to do. Mm -hmm. I said, well, take your time. You know, uh, one of the difficult things was recruiting Hispanic teachers to come to Austin. Because when I came to the school board, they had about 40 Mexican-American teachers in the district. And uh, they wanted more. So <coughs> what they did, uh, Wayne King, remember Wayne? The school, one of the administrators. Okay. He decided to go south to Pan American University, Texas A&I. Uh, and he got a few, but very little. You know, they went from 40 to 60 in the community. Hey, that's not 50%. That's <laughs> a 50% increase. <laughs> anyway, so I asked, I asked Wayne, I said, what are you doing? So he told me, he said, we find somebody we like, we make him an offer. But a lot of them turn us down. I said, let me tell you one thing, Wayne. No Mexican-American father is going to allow her, his daughter, who is probably the first in the family to ever go to college, to come to this evil center <laughs> of perdition in Austin. Because they know that if she comes here, she'll go back pregnant and not married. I said, so, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to offer that one good-looking, sharp, intelligent girl a job, Ask her one question. Do you have any friends that are teachers that want to come to Austin? And she says, yes. How many? Well, I could get six or eight. Hire them all, okay? They'll get on the station wagon and come to Austin. And they'll rent a house and they all live there and they can go work for us. Numbers went up. Uh, it was, they had, the people from, from South Texas, for them, Austin, is another country. Right? Mm -hmm. And incidentally, 
there's, there's some justification for that. There was a, a demographer by the name of Guro who wrote a book that said that America won, I mean, the Americas were not three countries. North America was not three countries, it was nine nations. And he identified a nation called Mexamerica, which uh, was on both sides of the Rio Grande. And the, and the northern border of Mexamerica was San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So Austin was another mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Austin was another nation. Yeah. And so I told him, I said, I read the book, and for them, it's another, it's another nation, it's another country. Austin is not part of Mexamerica. It is now, of course, you know. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, so Wayne was very diligent and uh, got, you know, by the time I left, we had 600 Mexican-American teachers working for AISD and principals. Uh, Mike Thomas, uh, Mike Thomas, professor at the University of Texas, his daughter is the director of uh, Nature Conservancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name, I knew her very well, but I, you know, he called me, he said, you all need principals too, right? We made a deal with Pan American University. UT Austin is going to train principals, Mexican American principals, and Pan American is going to train Mexican American counselors. And we call the program PAUTA, Pan American University, University of Texas at Austin, PAUTA. <laughs> okay. And we're going to recruit people to come and train to be principals. So, sure enough, first, first group that came out, I think there were six or eight. Austin hired them all. Because they were supposed to go to, to the other school. We said, no, we hired them all here. Andrew Guerrero, Jose Flores, you know, all of them came to work for Austin. And uh, soon they, we had enough. We had quite a few. Because once, once they had a group, then they themselves uh, recruited others. And, uh, and the school district, you know, uh, became, I guess, more responded well to the to the requests that were made by those 17 demands and uh, so uh, I served my six years the other thing that I that we did when I was on the school board that I really really <coughs> liked we formed the Austin Community College mm-hmm. uh, and here again back to Will Davis Will uh, you know they, they had they, City of Austin had worked to try to get a community college back then it was called a junior college I think and it always, when we went to the election, it always failed because the proposition to form the college would pass, but the tax base, because the law required that to form a college, you had to have a tax base, it failed. So you didn't have anything. In the 1971 legislative session, Will, working with other people, passed the law saying a community can pass a community college proposition without a tax base. Okay. You had to have an election. And so he came back to the board, and I was brand new on the board, and told us about it. And we, I said, well, what are we waiting for? They said, well, we had to put it on the, put it in the ballot, and put it in the ballot and passed. And the Austin Community College was formed. We had a professor at the University of Texas by the name of C.C. Culver, Dr. C.C. Culver. 
back by the time he came, he was an older gentleman, very sharp. He said, uh, you guys need to be ready uh, to address the needs of this college because by the year 2000, you may have 10,000 students. Heck, we had 10,000 students in the second year. <laughs> and the college, of course, has been a great asset for the city, the city and for the whole area. Now, of course, we're in other counties. You know, we, uh, you know it's, a, it's a great institution because it, it serves the needs of the, of the, of the people as, there, as they are there. You know? And uh, now, of course, they bought the, the old uh, shopping center over there, Highland Mall. And very interesting. Very interesting, you know. Yes. Because that area, besides having the building, has a lot of land. You could put some very good housing. You know, nowadays the city of Austin is talking about affordable housing. That's the place to take the put. But anyway, I'm not on the, on the I'm not on the city council, and I'm not going to get <laughs> I'm not going to get into, into that discussion. But anyway, that was one of the things that I really uh, appreciate the support of the people forming of the college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the, the my term ended in '78, and I ran for the state board of education, and I lost. Uh, I lost to a guy that shouldn't have beat me, but he did. Because I could win in Austin. But the rumors that I got was that uh, outside of Austin, Garcia didn't sell. Mm -hmm. I, I even got a report that some people would, get, would go to the polls out there, you know, one of those towns out there in the rural areas, and they would say, this, this guy, there's the Garcia, and then there's the other guy, Jones. Is this guy Jones black? They call him Negroes back then. Mm -hmm. Is this guy Negro? No, he's white. I'm not going to vote for him. I'm not going to vote for him. So I lost. Everywhere outside of Austin, I lost. And so I was in 78. I stayed out. And, and then in 82, I ran again. But this time, I was unlucky. Because my opponent was Will Davis. <laughs> And Will knew everybody, <laughs> and the and the education uh, uh, groups in, in the communities that dealt with education. Will knew everybody, but he had worked with everybody, and a very a very talented politician. Uh, he knew how to do talent, uh, uh, politics very well. So I lost in in eighty two. So I told my wife, I said, you know what? My dad was right. I shouldn't have gotten into politics. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm going to go work. When it started, my firm had been had started and was doing well. So from '82 to '88, still six years, I practiced accounting. Sure, had a ball. And uh, in '88, John Trevino, who had been on the council for 13 years, the rumor was he's not going to run. They came to talk to me. I don't know anything about city council. I work in areas of education. That's where mm -hmm. I. That's where right. I want. That's why I do my politics. Well, you need to do this one. No, I'm not going to do it. I said no. So Robert Barnstone, you remember him? Sure. Robert ran against Sam Guzman and won. Great. He, Robert was just like Will Davis. He talented. He could speak that Spanish. You know, he's he he's a. Uh, Sephardic Jew, Sephardic Jew. Mm -hmm. he committed suicide, you know, yeah. I felt sorry for him. Right. He was a good guy, very talented. Bright, bright young man. Bright and, and, 
and uh, but he did not understand the mindset of the Hispanic people in Austin. This is different than the Valley. Right. He tried to teach, he tried to treat the Hispanic people in Austin like you treat the Hispanic people in Laredo. I said, Robert, this, are diff this is a different group of people, okay? Over there, there's all, they're all Mexicans. We're all Mexicans over there. Here, they're a minority group. And he talked about, Laredo used this term that uh, when, they didn't, when they didn't like somebody, they, they said, well, you belong to a clique. What, what, they didn't say clique, they called it clica. You belong to a clica. I said, Robert, we don't have clicas in Austin, okay? We're all in the same boat. We're all trying to put the Hispanic community in a good position politically and socially. That's all. And so uh, we had written a letter, a letter to the editor, three of us. Remember Pedro Garza? Mm -hmm. Pedro was the, the economic development administrator later. Pedro graduated from AM, very outstanding student, and then a master's from Princeton. And then he came here, and uh, he and Kathy Vasquez and I wrote a letter criticizing Barnstorm. He wrote the letter, Pedro did, and I looked at it. I said, We ain't going to send this letter. Why? I said, it's got more poison darts than you can shake a stick at. The American statesman will never publish this letter. I can tell you that. They won't publish it. Let me to have the letter. Let me pull out enough poison darts and we'll send it. Well, I did. And even with taking out all those bad sentences and accusations, the statement was a little, uh, we don't know. Well, why don't you consider it? So, they printed it. The morning that it appeared in the paper, by 10 o'clock I had a call from Barnstone. Why, why did you do that to me? I said, I didn't do that to you. I said, we're talking about what it is that you're doing politically to our community. And I said, I've told you this before, but you didn't, you didn't pay any attention because you thought you knew what to do. And what we're saying is, no, that's not the... We don't have clickers here, Bob, Robert. Understand that? So uh, he said, "Well, I don't think I don't appreciate what you did." I said, "I didn't. I didn't write this letter to get appreciation from anybody." He said, "We're just laying out the the rationale for bringing about some some change." So around ninety one comes around, and. Uh, Again, they came knocking on my door. They wanted me to run. I told them no in 88, but in 91, I couldn't say no. They already had, the Hispanic community already had not only done the work inside the community, they they, they, they had done all the, the communication with the African-Americans mm -hmm. and with the white community. Some, there's some Mexican-American leaders in this community that have great relationships with the white community sure. and with the African-American community. Mm -hmm. I know who they are. And they did it. And they told me, we're ready, we're ready to talk to the white community. You're okay. Now get in there. <laughs> so I ran in 91 and got a seat on the, on the city council. And I, I didn't want to do it. And I told the people, I don't want to do it because I, I like to work in education because I think that's where the game is. If we're going to improve the status of the Mexican-Americans, we have to educate our kids. Otherwise, it ain't going to be done. 
And so, but I said, you know, you got me into this one, so I'll go ahead and start. I thought I'd, I'd serve only one term, but uh, I said, then I'd uh, serve three terms. And uh, had an opportunity to do some things that, you know, enhance Austin as a city and uh, uh, help the Hispanic community, you know, uh, organize in a better way to, you know, send their kids to school, get better jobs, you know. And now there's some, you know, there's some Hispanics that, that are doing very well. You bet. Very well. I don't think it, it's because of what I did, because like Richard Meyer said it best, he said, for the, somebody, I guess it was Daryl Slusher, coined the term brown machine. And he put Gonzalo, Richard, and Johnny in the brown machine. Mm -hmm. I didn't make the brown machine. <laughs> But Moya I think you qualified. <laughs> Moya called me and said, uh, uh, you're not in the brown machine, but you are associated with us because we want you to take care of education and uh, uh, we'll, we'll do whatever you want us to do to help education. Moya and I had a great working relationship. I miss him, you know. Well, he was a county commissioner. Right? County commissioner. You were on the council, right? Yeah. Uh, I miss him a lot because he... He knew Austin like he knew his hand. I mean, he mm -hmm. grew up here. I didn't grow up in Austin. Anyway, anyway, uh, they, that term ended in, in the year 2000. And so I went back uh, and told my wife, I said, let's retire. You know, I've been at it for a long time and I'd like to have some time. And she was teaching by that time. She, she, uh, she went to Laredo Junior College and got two years of work, and then she came. After we had the three children, she went back to UT and got a degree in education, and, got, and then got a master's in bilingual special ed. My wife's very smart. Yeah. She, she graduated salutatorian from high school, valedictorian from community college, with honors from the University of Texas. I can tell you're very said, proud of her. I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, you're getting all the honors that, that will help me, you know, Say that I'm associated with those, one of those ones. <laughs> I never got any of those things. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we we decided to retire, and, uh, and uh, uh, one day we were traveling to go to a funeral. One of the, her aunts had passed away in Del Rio, and uh, our youngest son is uh, uh, visually impaired. He lives with us, but he knows how to operate everything. You know, telephone, and uh, we were somewhere between between San Antonio and the Rio, and he uh, called the house phone and got a message. He said, uh, Dad, uh, Kirk Watson called you. So he talked to him right away. I said, I said, we're going to a funeral, but he wants to talk to you right away. <coughs> and the rumors had been moving around Austin that he was not gonna run. And I had people for city council or for mayor, for city council, he was not going to uh, run. He was going to no. He was, was going to run for attorney general. That's right. That's right. And he was mayor at the time. He was mayor at the time. Okay. He was not going to run. He was going to run for attorney general. Right. So uh, I had some calls from some people who said, "You need to decide now that you're going to run for or not run for for mayor." I said, "Watson is the mayor." I served with Watson. We served. We, we worked together well. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna 
go on and announce that I'm running uh, for something that he is not vacating. Well, he is not vacating. And I'm not going to mention names because it's, it's not appropriate. Uh, but I, I told the people, I said, no, I'm not going to announce anything. If he, if he decides to run for attorney general and, and, and you know, leave the mayor's office, I'll decide. I'll talk about that. So my son said, he called. Well, I called him. He said, where are you? I said, I'm on my way to Del Rio for a funeral. When are you coming back? I said, you need to come back right away because you need to fly. You know, wasn't doesn't know, know how to do anything tomorrow. He was there yesterday. Uh, I said, no, I'm not going to come back until I, we get through. Well, as soon as you get through, you come and you file for mayor. Because I'm, the, I think it was uh, one of the San Antonio, the guy who, who writes Politifact, Stanley, uh, the reporter that writes for Politifacts, can't remember. Anyway, he said he found out that I was running for attorney general. So now it's public, so I need to announce that I'm not running for mayor. And you need to come and file. So I did, and uh, uh, I had a very good run, you know. Uh, run started 19 months, and uh, they wanted me to run again. I said no. I said my my uh, duties in, in, in the political side are basically uh, focused on the Hispanic community. That's who I, that's who asked me to serve because they needed certain things done. I said, I, I'll be quite frank with you, I don't have the, the knowledge and wherewithal to be able to address the other needs. I can do it because I can learn most anything. Uh, Will Davis said, told me how to run, how to, how to learn things in the political world. But I said, I, you know, I, I already did what I want to do politically and I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire. So I served 19 months and went home to, uh, my lovely wife and family to live happily ever after. And I'm still there. <laughs> what was, uh, what was there a watershed issue or two during well, that 19 yeah, months that you, I, had, that you had to deal with? I had, uh, I had the bad fortune and the bad luck of uh, coming right after 9-11. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was supposed to announce I had scheduled an announcement uh, for to run for mayor on uh, September the 11th, and uh, I, I hated press conferences. You know, it made me fidgety, and so I got up and I you know, told my wife, "I'm going to go out for a walk." So I went out, came back. When I came back, the the second plane had hit the tower, and I said, "What movie are you watching?" Said, that's not a movie. It's happening right now. Mm. So I had to cancel the press conference and uh, decide: Do I want to take this on? Because this, the, as you remember, I well remember, the country was in a panic. Sure, we had never been attacked by anybody, and not in this manner. No, they didn't know. Yeah. They didn't know if people were going to attack our water plants, our electric, or whatever. What was going to happen? So. I told her, I said, I don't, you know, I'm not sure I want to take this on, but I told Watson that I was, so I'm going to do it. And I put together, I actually didn't do it, some of my friends did, 
one of my great political allies is a guy that uh, that that the the, Hispanic, the the business community has reservations about whether they like him or not. Mark Schnager. Mm-hmm. Mark is a brilliant, brilliant guy. Sure. And uh, uh, I said, Mark, okay, we'll put together something. So he put together a coalition that had Asians, African Americans, Hispanics, and whites. And we had a press conference to end all press conferences. I mean, fantastic. And I was off and running. Uh, and I had a good time. I mean, uh, I knew that uh, issue number one was assure the community that we were addressing the needs uh, of, of what was then happening in the country, that our, that our police department was going to be there, that we were going to protect our assets, that we were going to protect the community, and all those things. Mm-hmm. Well, the first day that I went to, to serve as mayor, the first call that came in was from Mike Levy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, God's just Mike Levy. Yeah, Mike. Uh, what are you going to do now? I said, Mike, why are you asking me that question? Said, you know what I have to do. This city and the people of this city feel, you know, anxious. Uh, they, they don't know what to, what to expect. So the responsibility that we have as, as a city council, not just me, but the whole council, <coughs> is to give assurances that we're going to keep the city safe. That's it. Okay, thank you very much. He hung up and never called me again. Because to me, it was, very, it was a very simple thing. We had to assure people that we knew what the threat was and that we were going to be able to put together a policy or policies to address that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we went on to other things. You know, the... the uh, I asked the Will, Will Wynn, the other Will, to and serve. Will, Will was on the council. Will was on the time. council. Okay. Uh, I, I said, I want to appoint some committees, and I, I want to appoint a, a business development committee to deal with the economic situation. Basically, an economic policy, an economic committee. They were the ones who came back to say, that as a matter of policy, Austin should adopt the keep Austin weird. Okay. And we passed it. That is, that was passed as a resolute, as an, as an ordinance. That that was, I guess, the motto for the city, keep Austin weird. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it has been fantastic because it's, it singles us out as a city that is very civilized because of the university and the state being here. But at the same time, in you know, embracing the different uh, uh, sec- sectors of our society that may not be the same as the university and the and and the, and the state or industry, and that we don't that we don't say you're you're different and push you out. Mm-hmm. We don't push anybody out mm-hmm. in this city. And that, you know, people told me, you know, we appreciate that. You know, some. Some of the some of the people that may be considered fringe by by some by some groups, not in Austin. In Austin, you're not fringe. In Austin, you may be mainstream, for all I know. You know, so 
Uh, that was one of the things that I always felt that uh, we needed to make sure that everybody was on the inside. Uh, like, and, and I, I used to, to refer to, uh, to something that LBJ said, I want the SOBs on the inside pissing out, <laughs> and right. the outside pissing in. <laughs> right. uh, you know, uh, that has been one of the one of the good things about Austin is that they embrace differences that people may have uh, because uh, they consider that in doing that they strengthen the community mm -hmm. and that's very healthy in my estimation very healthy and that's it what uh, what what are your interests today and what are you uh, spending a little, <laughs> little time on well, <coughs> we have five grandchildren. Uh, the two oldest ones are freshmen at the University of Texas. One in business and one in music. Uh, and uh, then we have three others coming along the way. Uh, one of them is a very sharp kid. Uh, I never thought that a Garcia would be a drum major of the Austin High School band. But he is. He's a drummer. <laughs> I told my wife, you know, Austin High was this place that I thought we never were going to get to, and here it is. Our grandson is the is the uh, band, uh, uh, you know, oh, the leadership. Yeah, yeah. One in the leadership. Yeah. But he's a very he's a very self assured kid. Very smart. Uh, I have, I have a friend who uh, interned, when I was on the city council, one of the things we did was we took, we took uh, young men and women who wanted to intern and learn about the city council, we took him in. And one of the, uh, one of the young men that we took in uh, had graduated from the university and had, led, and, and had gone to work in industry. But he came back because he wanted to get a PhD. So, he did. He came back, and while he was there, he said he wanted to come talk to me uh, because he was Mexican American, but he grew up in a totally Anglo environment. He, he grew up in Waco, and he wanted to know what it meant to be Mexican American. Uh, David Nino. So he came, and you know, we talked. I said, "Well." Come on. And so he stayed with us, and, and uh, we had friends in a, 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 uh, a city in, in the state of Tamaulipas, Ciudad Victoria. Victoria is the capital of the state of Tamaulipas, very, very sophisticated city. So we used to have, we used to go there, you know, because we had some friends. So I told, I told David, I said, You want to go to Victoria? Yeah. So we took him to Victoria. He interned with the with the mayor of Victoria, and fell in love with Minerva, and uh, that, that that romance never went anywhere. But he was he was ecstatic the fact the fact that he had a girlfriend from Mexico. David went on and finished his uh, PhD, and went to work for Rice. Very smart guy. And uh, the other day he emailed me. He has been hired by MIT. 
is on the faculty at MIT. Wow. And uh, so I emailed him. I said, I have a very smart uh, uh, grandson. Do you think you can get him with them? <laughs> he said, yeah, send me his papers. <laughs> I want to talk to him. But uh, David uh, has been uh, very true to his commitment to help the Mexican-American community. And he's become, a, you know, he, he understood what being Mexican-American was because it's a, it's a, the Mexican-American is a, we're kind of confused as to who we are. You know, when I was, when I went in the army, they had me fill out a form and uh, a name, address, blah, blah, blah. And then they had a box, it's a race. So I looked at it, I don't know what, what race I am. So a sergeant came around and said, what's the matter? What have you I said, I'm through with everything except this. He said, write the word vocation. I had never heard that word. <laughs> I said, what is, he said, what is that? He said, that's what you are. But I don't know what we are. I mean, but it doesn't make any difference. I know we're not African, we're not a Negro. We're not of the yellow race. And we're not the red race, that leaves the white race. And then, of course, uh, when you talk about Mexican-Americans, you talk about those that have indigenous blood, you know, mm -hmm. their, their, their Aztecs or Toltecas or Omecas, all the, all the indigenous tribes in Mexico and, for that matter, Latin America. Uh, then you have the Europeans, the Spaniards. Uh, so, I, people, my, my, my grandchildren, I, I don't know. Uh, we are, we're here, we're Americans. I was gonna say, uh, we're all Americans. Yeah, we're Americans. I, right. I said, uh, you know, there for a while it took me some time to, to figure it out. But my, my response to that query was, why should I be worrying about who I am? <laughs> I had to pay taxes just like everybody that lives here. I managed to, to, to do all kinds of things here. I'm an American. Precisely. Uh, my, my father said he was Mexican, but Mexican is not a race. You know, and neither is a Spaniard. You know, <laughs> one day when Tony Sanchez was running for governor, he got a big bus, decided to go around the state of, state of Texas, you know, visiting. He came and parked it in front of City Hall right there on 8th Street and went in looking for me. <coughs> and he said, I'm going to speak to this group. I want you to go with me because I want you to introduce me. The Sanchez family, once they got, you know, wealthy, mm -hmm. were not, we, we were not friends with him in the railroad. I knew his father because of one time that we went to the store, but I didn't know him. No, I want you to interview him. So I introduced him, and this is the way he started his speech. My name is Tony Sanchez, and I'm a Spaniard. Because in Laredo, <laughs> if you're whitish, you're a Spaniard. Oh, okay. If not, you're, you're an Indian. I, and I told him, I said, Tony, if you're a Spaniard, what are you doing running? for governor of the state of Texas. 
but it is a it is a mindset that basically poisons the, the, the minds of people in that region of the world. Uh, no, I'm not any different than than John Trevino or Gonzalo or for that matter Charlie Bess, anybody. I mean, sure. You know, they're all, you know, come into my world one way or Park Watson, you know, uh, and uh, my my agenda, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be 82 come January. The question is, what, what are you supposed to be doing now? Well, I have five grandchildren, step one. And step two, I have a, a wife that's been with me for 55 years. I don't want to keep her. <laughs> uh, we have three sons. And then we have the layers of the community, you know, because uh, one of the things that happened when I left the council was they named a park and a rec center for, with my name. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one of the things that has happened at the rec center, very strange. The Vietnamese found it and they come there. They think I own it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I said, no, you own it. Do you, do you ever go to the HEB and, and buy things there and pay taxes? Yeah. Those taxes are paying for this thing. You own this. All of us own it. And so uh, the different groups, uh, the Asians, the Vietnamese, Vietnamese is, incidentally is, a, is a slightly different than the other Asians. Uh, they're new to this country, newer than the others. And, uh, and they have difficulty getting along with other groups. As an example, the city of Austin has a Asian American uh, center. Right. Uh, Asian American Resource Center. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that I asked them is, why, why are you coming to the Gus Garcia Center? Why don't you go to the Asian Center? No, we don't want to go there. Well, the Asian Center has been taken over by certain groups that don't like the Vietnamese. Mm. At least how hard it, it doesn't start, it doesn't come up, you know, and then become an issue. But the, the Vietnamese know about it, so they come to Garcia. If you go to Garcia any day at noon, there'll be 40 or 50 Vietnamese eating lunch there. But they're great people, sure. We have people that were colonels and engineers and doctors and lawyers and everything, and they're just like us. And uh, uh, and they also, their women are also very independent. You know, they're doing all kinds of stuff there at the center. So it's that to me, since I know the city relatively well, I feel that working with the Asians, the African Americans, the white people, that we can build a city that really is is better than the average, way better than the average. I think Austin is a city that's way better than average. And I say that because the criteria is, do people that live here feel that they are living in a good place? That they like it here? Do they like it here? Yes. Do we give them flexibility to express their disagreement? Yes. We love discussion. I mean, we... <laughs> 
We certainly do. We just <laughs> adore it. I mean, and that's good. I didn't grow up believing that way. But when I came here and I learned how Austin works, and Austin, you know, developed, grew and developed, because back, back in the days, there was quite a bit of racism. And there's still some, you know, there's still some people that don't like these guys. But for the average Austinite, I think the feeling is, this is where I want to be. Inclusive. This is where I want to be. And I want to work in that environment. Gus, you have received some some real significant honors uh, that you you have richly deserved in both your uh, work with Austin Independent School District as well as the city, and that you're uh, that you're hesitant to mention. But I do want to mention, for the purpose of your oral history, the uh, fact that uh, not only have you had a recreational uh, facility of the city's name honored you by your by naming it the, the Gus Garcia uh, Recreational Center. You, you also have had a school uh, named for you, and I think that's uh, I can't think uh, of any better ways that a community can thank uh, individuals for their perfect yeah. service. It's a great honor. You bet. It's a great honor. You bet. Yeah, and. Uh, and the kids that are there are exactly the kids that, that I want to serve. Uh, it's about 60% Hispanic, about 40% African American. I think they have a couple of white kids. Uh, and uh, they, they, they had difficulty in the first five years. We had five, five principals in the first five years. Just they, mm. they didn't last. And then they, they, then they decided, this district decided to make it a single gender school, all boys, Cus Garcia Young Men's Leadership Academy. And they brought this young man from somewhere, and he is fantastic. Sterling Magruder. That guy has taken that school, which was unacceptable academically, all five years. We're really out of it. We're acceptable now. And they're not thinking about being exemplary. Right? You know what? They're going to get there. Right. We're going to get there. Uh, because it's a can-do attitude. And he has the kids wearing coats and ties. And you get there and, you, and they come up and they say, I'm a Gus Garcia man. What is that? <laughs> but but you're, uh, happy, you're happy to claim them, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There. One of the days, you know, uh, if you're interested in going there visiting, I think you'd enjoy it, meeting uh, the the faculty and staff. Oh, I, I would, I would love yeah. that. Sure. Anyway, it's been fun talking to you, Charlie. Thank you, Gus. Very, very much.